You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Man, one of the coolest parts of the whole trip was when we had the opportunity, we brought our whole team together and we took a picture of our whole team gathered together. And uh, I shared with my neighbor, I said, man, hey, we just got back from Mexico. It was incredible. He said, cool, who all came? I said, we had people there from two years old to 72 years old. And he said, did you have babysitters for both? Yep. Uh, here's the reality. The 72-year-old man can outwork any 40-year-old man in the room. It have been really cool. Yeah, you guys want to celebrate that. Hey, uh, We're going to do the trip again. It was a huge success. Uh, We're so excited to partner. Welcome all of you from I-68 that came out to Phoenix today. Danny, you did an incredible job leading worship. And uh, it's such an honor and a joy to to be here today. Hey, I want to share with you the story of this family right here, Jose and Evelyn, sweet family. Um, The cool thing about I-68 is they partner alongside of a family. There's an application process, and they work alongside. It's not simply relief. It's not a simple handout, but it's a hand up in life. And uh, one of the greatest things, I just want to say thank you to you all in the church in 2018 for giving and serving. I sat down with this couple. I'm going to unfold the documentary that we're going to be sending out to all of you, North Valley friends and family in I-68, probably in the next month or two. Um, But I interviewed this couple and I sat down with them on the porch and they thought that they helped build the house. They thought that the the house would be it. They didn't think that they were going to get the basic things like water, electricity, and interior walls for privacy. And I sat down with them in an interview on camera and I said, hey, I just want to say on behalf of North Valley and our Lord Jesus Christ, it's my honor and privilege to be able to share with you that you're going to be able to, uh, in the next couple of weeks, because people gave towards our hope offering, we can not only, we weren't able to help, only help build a small house, but a larger house for you and your family. She's pregnant. And, but we're going to be able to install water. And she immediately started to cry. And then Jose started to cry. And then I said, in addition to that, um, we're going to be able to provide electricity. And they, and they, they were just overwhelmed and interior walls for privacy. So let me just say this first to you all who gave and serve in 2018, and for those of you that went on the trip in I-68, you're doing an incredible work. Let's thank thank God that we get to show the love of Christ. My, My hope and vision is for North Valley is that we mobilize a great army of people that would serve like Jesus. 50 two people um, from North Valley as members of the church went down and served in uh, a community called San Rafael. I had the privilege to ride along with Tony, uh, Danny's dad, and he showed me the community. My heart broke. My 14-year-old son was in the, the, the car with me. The camera guy was in the back. We're filming and we're getting the kind of the synopsis of San Rafael, a community that's neglected by the government where sewage overflows because the septics are overflowing and they've got plenty of work and money to invest in for Rocky Point. And it's a community that's left out. There's 25,000 people down there. The majority of those people are living at a significant poverty line. My prayer is that North Valley would just step forward and say, we will be a partner 
to share and show the love of Jesus Christ working in and with the I-6-8 team because they're the ones on the ground. And the coolest story is these guys, we're building houses with people who, who were the recipients of houses. So it's a transformational, different kind of ministry approach. We typically think of handout, not hand up in life. And so I'm excited that we were able to do that, and I'm so proud for I-68 to be here today. Hey, here's what I want to do. I just want to highlight a couple things. There's a ministry impact report in 2018. Um, it's back there at the Connection Corner. Um, this is just going to highlight some of the, the big, big days for us. Easter's coming up, guys. Last year, we had 706 people uh, that attended our Easter services. Um, this year, I want to encourage you to each one of you reach out. Uh, there's a little invite card that you got. Um, while we got a neighbors in need in Mexico, we have a lot of neighbors in need right around the valley. 87% of our friends and family in the North Phoenix Valley do not, are not a connected to a Jesus-centered church, and, uh, and they need, need you. So I want to encourage you, each one of you, to reach one. Reach one family member. Just reach out. That card's for you to hand out. And then as well... Um, I want you to be able to check out these ministry impact reports. I'll walk through just a couple highlights. Um, we were able to deliver uh, 2,744 pounds of food this last year. Um, we were able to do that. And neighborhood groups is continuing to grow. Um, our average attendance grew this last year. Uh, there's about 322 people that on average show up on a Sunday in 2018. There's more than 500 people that call North Valley home. Most of you guys don't show up all at once. Um, the, the kids and the youth are continuing to grow. This impact report's made available. One of the cool highlights is $23,000 was given to help start and strengthen churches. That's given through our hope offering. That's also given through our general fund. I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, that's really important. Additionally, just a couple other highlights. Last year, we had 100 a, a plus ministry leaders, pastors, ministry leaders to address the issue of biblical um, literacy. It's a it's people are putting away their Bibles. And so we held a conference with uh, seminary presidents from Denver, Dallas, and Phoenix, and some local pastors, and we had 100 plus people a part of that. Um, additionally, I want to just highlight the last note is 70% of those that called North Valley home gave in 2018. Because you gave, you made the Mexico mission trips a reality. Um, so everything, um, God decides to use people and money to be able to fuel and fund ministry and missions. And so I want to challenge you, um, uh, for those 70% have, have given in 2018, that's actually 20% higher than the national average, but still there's 30% of those that attend North Valley that actually have never given anything. Uh, to, we started, uh, we ended 2018 huge, and then in 2019, our giving slowed down. And listen, guys, we can't make the impact that we need to make in 2019 unless we all come together. And so um, I want to encourage you in the general fund giving for those of you that have not yet contributed to start there at some level. For those of you that are already doing that, maybe you forgot, I want to encourage you to make that commitment. It fuels and funds ministry and missions in our church. Last but not least, I want to remind you that we're in a resource initiative and so um, right now, the exciting news is, is that the church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to thrive. For those of you that are new, um, we've moved on to this campus a couple years ago, and our church is coming up on six and a half years old as a church. 
and we're outgrowing our facilities. So our kids and our youth are our most important next steps for this church. April 14th is commitment day. That's the day where everybody, those of you that attend North Valley, call North Valley home, are coming forward with that commitment. I'll send out a letter this week as well. We need to renovate this building. We need to renovate the campus and open it up so that we can build up to continue to serve like Jesus. 2019. Next weekend, uh, Pastor Daryl Del Huse, president of Phoenix Seminary, is preaching. He's on our teaching team. I'll be here to share more vision about what we're doing in the resource initiative. But April 14th is the day. And that's where we will uh, make that big commitment all together uh, to be able to help fuel and fund the ministry and the mission here at North Valley. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the work that you're doing in and through our church. We pray that you would be magnified and glorified. Take every gift received and multiply it so that we can make a greater impact in 2019 than we did in 2018 for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to move through this pretty quick. Um, This is perhaps the most famous parable story Jesus ever told. It's the parable, it's the story of the, I said almost as the prodigal son, the Good Samaritan. And um, picking up Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Jesus is always tested, he's always tried, he's always challenged, he's controversial, he's been on the scene, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, then he always finds opposition, and he can go up against the most intelligent intellectuals of his day, he can, he can argue with the best of them and defend uh, his role as Messiah. And here he is being questioned by a lawyer. Yes, a lawyer. Verse 25, uh, chapter 10, and it says, The gospel writer Luke records, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The guy's asking a basic question. It's a theological question that would have been asked. The the lawyer is likely a legal expert in pharisaical law. He understands the Torah. He understands God's law given to Moses. And that word test also means trap. Verse 26. He said to him, Jesus speaks now, and he says, What is written in the law and how do you read it? So the lawyer asked him a question, and then Jesus, instead of giving him an answer... Ask a question. Verse 27. The lawyer responds, and he's very intelligent. He says, well, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This guy knew his Bible. This is Deuteronomy 6.5. This is a Leviticus 19.18. He combines the two. Jesus later calls this the great commandments. The whole church, our church, is built on the great commandments. Loving God, loving neighbor. What connects the greatest commandments is the word love. Jesus responds in verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. This is where we find out in verse 29, kind of the motives of this lawyer. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The idea of him justifying himself is that he's trying to make himself look good. 
under, under his interpretation and a normal interpretation, he'd be thinking, my neighbor is my fellow Israelite, somebody who's like him. But Jesus responds not with a simple answer. Look how Jesus responds. He responds with a story. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. When Jesus describes this man that would be going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the man would have understood this is a very treacherous road that the story is being set in. That traveling, would, that road is to, there today. If you were to travel back from Jerusalem to Jericho, you'd see it's about 10 miles. It's about, descends about 3,500 feet. And in Jesus's day, it was nicknamed the Bloody Pass. We've got, you go up I-17, you go north, we have Bloody Basin. I don't know the backstory on Bloody Basin, but I can bet it was bloody. The, the issue with the bloody past in Jesus' day was this was a place that was dangerous. Robbers, bandits would gather around and they would wait for people to travel by and pounce on them, beat them, and then take their goods and then leave. Jesus portrays that somebody's left half dead. And then he says this, verse 31, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so, verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, pass, saw him pass by on the other side. So there we have it. We have a priest who could have saved the day. We have a Levite who could have saved the day, and neither of them did. This would have been shocking, perhaps offensive, to this lawyer. These were religious leaders of the day. But the question comes is, why didn't they stop? If you read any commentary, if you listen, you've listened to other sermons, perhaps you've heard some ideas like this. Well, maybe the priest and maybe the Levite were on their way to a, a very important temple ceremony, and they just didn't have time to stop to help the guy beaten half to death. So the priest passed by. Or maybe if they were to touch this person, or to help this person, they would defile themselves and forfeit their privileges and opportunities to enter into the temple underneath the Mosaic law. Or, maybe on another note, more comical note, maybe these two, the Levite and the priest, were on the committee of the Jericho Road Association to create a safer roadway from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. But here's, I think, a, a, better, a better way to think about it. Dr. Martin Luther King, the night before he was assassinated, gave some incredible insight to this parable. I think it's perhaps the best insight I've seen from any other commentator and theologian in looking at the story of the Good Samaritan and asking the question, why didn't the priest or why didn't the Levi stop Dr. King says this, and so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? See, I, I think that they didn't stop because it would cost them something. It would cost them perhaps even their life because to stop is in a dangerous place, that's not a good idea. 
That'd be like breaking down on the way to California on I-10, and it's the middle of the night, there's no services, and somebody along the road is waving their hands, and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't stopping. This place is dangerous. There's There's no cell coverage. There's no power out there. You're in the middle of the desert. Jesus introduces the hero. He says, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion on him. This would have been shocking, startling. This would be like me saying, let me tell you a story about a radical Islamic jihadist that stopped to assist a Christian that was beaten half dead on the way to California. And I paint that guy out to be the hero. That's alarming. That's shocking. The Samaritan and the Jews had this angst against each other from religious frustrations, previous wars that dated back to the six centuries before. But then Dr. Martin Luther King paints this picture about the Good Samaritan. He says this, but then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I think that's perhaps the best question we can ask ourselves when it comes to missions and helping people in need. If you don't go, who will? Does that sound familiar? The prophet Isaiah said that. The apostle Paul said that when it came to missions. If you don't go, what will happen to these people? I want to highlight to you seven observations of a good Samaritan. The first is that he came to him. Scripture tells us is he just went over there. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to make a big difference in your world, you go to people. The greatest investment you could ever make with your money, with your time, is to invest in the life of people. Not simply give handouts, but give a hand up. Not only did he come to him, the gospel writer Luke says that he saw him. I think that's interesting. Because what Israel asked two things from God is, number one, that they could see his, his form, and number two, that they might hear him audibly. And the gospel writer records, and Jesus says that this good Samaritan, he saw him as he was, and he had compassion on him. My friends, do you have, do you have compassion? Do you see the people in need all around you? Verse 34, we see more uh, observations of the good Samaritan Verse 34 says, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This would have been a sovereign remedy, a favorite application of ancient medicine. Combining the oil and the wine into a compound, he would bandage the wounds and then he would treat his cuts. He he met basic needs. Verse 34 tells us, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The Good Samaritan provided transportation. The Good Samaritan provided shelter. He met the most basic needs that this person had. Verse 35 tells us, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you will spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Good Samaritan in Jesus' narrative was likely a business guy that needed to travel through and do business. And he gives two denarii, and that that is the equivalent, guys, of two months of wages. 
that would have meant perhaps that this guy was so beat up to a bloody pulp that it would take two months for his recovery to take place. The Good Samaritan provides that. And then Jesus asks a very simple question. He says, which of these three, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And this Pharisee couldn't bring himself to say it, say the word Samaritan, so he just says this, verse 37, the one who showed mercy, showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. What's the point? The point is, is that the good Samaritan becomes the example of the good neighbor. I think as I look at this passage and think about it, I, I realize that here's the good news for you and me, is that it, God can use anyone to do great work. He can use, he can use the uneducated, he can use um, the unlikely, the, the outcast, he can use anybody to do great work. The Good Samaritan becomes the hero of the parable. And the question comes for you and me is, how do we be a good neighbor? I think the essence of being a good neighbor is to see the needs around you. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the needs of people around you? At your workplace, in your community, in our world, what do you do about big issues like poverty, injustice, here locally, here globally, what, what are you doing? Do you see those needs? And the good neighbor not only sees the needs around you, but meets them the best that you can, and no matter who it is. So the question comes is, okay, give me more practical application. How do I do that? Number one, I'd say be humble. In any effort to go help people, the worst thing you can do is to be arrogant, coming in like a Messiah complex, a God complex, that you are the savior of the world. Be at peace. Don't worry anymore. I am here. Leave. You know, the worst thing we can do to devalue somebody is act like we are God or we are the Messiah. And I think God, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the what? The humble. In great, Jesus' greatest sermon ever, he said, blessed are the humble for they will see the kingdom of God. Oh, humility is, I think, the gateway to the kingdom. You got to humble yourself, the Bible says, and you will be exalted. And humility becomes this commonplace where you can meet with people no matter where they're at, what they've done, what they've gone through, and just say, I'm here to help. Be humble. Be humble in your approach to help anybody. It's there in your program. It's not on the screen, but you need to see your own need. I always like to start and engage and help in ministry and mission when I just realize that, in a sense, we're all on the same ground. If I understand that sin has infected and affected everything and everyone, including myself, I see myself as someone in great need. The great need of the great Savior to give me grace to get through every day that I'm going through. When I walk into that kind of situation, whether somebody's rich or poor, black or white, from Mexico or North America, I can walk in with a sense of humility and just say, man, Thank goodness that we have, we have the Lord. 
and sin has infected and affected everything, I walk in with a sense of humility and see my own need. I have needs spiritually. Anybody else that we help out, he has needs spiritually or physically or financially. Being humble means that you're, you make a commitment to love all people. Genesis tells us, the Bible tells us in the beginning that God created man and he created woman in his likeness. And therefore, every person on the planet is given this identity to reflect God. And therefore, we should show dignity, value, worth, and respect. Being humble helps us to understand that we make a commitment to love all people. And lastly, I encourage you in being humble is realize that God's love is for all people. God has a heart for every nation. It's woven into the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's woven into John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And when I realize that God's love is for all people, it humbles me. And we serve a great, big God. Secondly, I want to challenge you to be helpful. Look for needs around you. You don't have to wait for some divine inspiration of a supernatural dream in the middle of the night or somebody, a, a, a flashing light in the sky to, to be on mission or to be engaged and really do a great job in the Great Commission or the Great Commandments. You simply need to be helpful. The Apostle Paul told us, do good to everybody. Every single kind of person that comes along our way, we just ask the question, how can I help? Some of you have um, more time on your hands than others. Some of you have more money than you really need. And so then you ask those questions, Lord, what do I have and what can I give? See, the Good Samaritan asks the question, what will happen to this person if I don't get involved? How many people suffer in silence that are in your sphere of influence that they don't have enough to make it through what they're going through. They just might need an encouraging word. They might need you to come alongside and help them or pray for them or help contribute financially to help offset a big mercy need in their life. God wants to use you to make a great difference. God wants us to be, listen, ladies and gentlemen, the good neighbor. And it's gonna require humility. It's going to require for you and me to say, I will humble myself before the Lord. I'm no better than all these other people that I'm about to help. God loves us the same, and I'm going to move forward in faith and just serve like Jesus. Being helpful. There's three different things I want to introduce to you in, when it comes to mission work. The first is, is relief work. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's exactly what happened. The Good Samaritan provided relief. In Christian missions in our world today, there's all sorts of relief efforts. These would be tsunamis or earthquakes or tornadoes. Back in Arkansas, um, there was this little church community at a four-way stop in Ferndale, Arkansas, and the church was dead and dying, and a young pastor came into the community, and he asked this question, how can I be helpful to my community? He started doing fun things like fish fries and family gatherings and the church started to grow. And then a massive tornado hit and wiped out a huge section of the community. And, and all his deacons and leaders said, well, we, we can't take care of our own people. We definitely can't take care of the community and wanted to close the doors of the church towards the community for a season of time and save all their money. And the pastor stepped up and said, no, 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 we're here to serve. They opened up that little four-way stop 
a little grove church right there, and they opened it up for relief efforts. That church began to serve like Jesus in incredible ways, and the church began to grow and thrive. My younger brother, who helped me start this church, is now a leader in that church, and he was on the front lines of that relief effort. It's been so cool to be able to see how God uses relief. It's an important thing. There's rehabilitation as well. This is what happened in the parable of the Good Samaritan as well. The guy needed rehab. So what does he do? The Good Samaritan gives the money to the innkeeper, two months worth of wages, so that he could have time to rehabilitate. And then there's developmental work. I believe this is the most important work that missionary agencies and churches can get involved in. Developmental work asks the question, how can we give them a hand up in life and not simply a hand out? In I-68, one of the things I love about them is that they have an application process. So Jose and Evelyn were one of perhaps a hundred other applicants to be chosen for the build. There's so many different pieces of the criteria. They build the relationship. They want to know if they're in the community. Do they own the land? And they're going to come alongside and we're going to partner together to build this house, but to greater goal is, is to build the relationship with Jesus Christ and to help develop that family, to give them a hand up in life. Developmental work is that vision that I've talked about for San Rafael, the 25,000 people. Imagine with me if we could go in there and help partner with I-68. We're not simply building houses. We're sharing and showing the love of Christ. They're already starting micro-businesses to help create more income in that community. We've got to address big issues why the city is not assisting that community. I mean, guys, we need the business leaders engaged on this kind of deal. We need the people that have a heart to serve to help from two years old to 72, if we're gonna make a big difference. Let's all start praying for San Rafael. 25,000 people. This is four and a half hours from here are in incredible needs of poverty. Developmental work is key in that. They don't need just a bunch of houses, ladies and gentlemen. They need development, encouragement, support. They need to be given opportunities to have skills built. They need to identify what are the skills and strengths and let's help resource and build those up so that we don't just simply try to help them, but we help them so that they can help others too. What I love about I-68 as well is they bring along on the job build, they bring along the families that received a home in years past and help build the house with them. These are people in the community that are making a difference. Lastly, I want to encourage you not only to be humble or be helpful, but to be honest. The Apostle John um, was perhaps Jesus' nearest and dearest disciple. And in the gospel, or in 1 John, he in a sense says, if, you're, if you want to love, show, demonstrate your love for somebody, then you lay down your whole life. You, you die for the person. But then to soften it and say, okay, he says, I understand many of you aren't going to lay down your life for somebody in need, but would you do this? 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods, that means material possessions, and then sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
My simple question to you is, will you open your heart just a little bit more towards social injustice, towards deep needs of poverty around you? Might we be a church who truly does serve like Jesus in the years ahead? Can we do that here locally? Yes, we can. By simply being helpful to the needs that are around us in our neighborhood. But if it doesn't happen in our neighborhoods, then maybe you need to get kick-started and go down to Mexico and see the great needs all around you and feel what it feels like to really be helpful. I know for me and my family, it was an incredible experience. Um, what, what one of the coolest parts of the car ride home was, I have a seven-year-old daughter and then I have twins that are 14 and they said, Dad, can we do this every year? And I said, yeah, we can do it every year. Um, that's spring break. Listen, we have got to be as Christians totally countercultural. The way we use money, the way we use relationships, the way we do everything. And we surrender that to God and say, God, we want to be humble. Lord, we want to be helpful. And Lord, we need to be honest. If our hearts are closed towards those around us, we've got a problem. Jesus, when he started his ministry, he walked into his hometown in Nazareth. First thing he does is he rolls down the scroll of Isaiah. Everybody's like, who's this Jesus guy? Rolls down the scroll and thumbs himself, finds himself in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the role, the function, and the service of the Messiah. And then Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. My question to you is, would you humble yourself? Would you allow the scripture to be the authority over your life and just say, hey, I'm gonna dedicate the rest of my life to serve like Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great partnership and the connection that we've had with I-68 and the mission down in Mexico. Lord, I give you thanks for all the giving that has happened in our church to fund and fuel the hope offering for all those that served this last year in 2018. Lord, we pray for a great multitude of an army that would continue to be built up here at North Valley to go out to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to move in us, not simply to invest globally, but locally as well, that we might see the neighbors in need, that we might ask those questions, what will happen if I don't do anything? And Lord, that we would seek to be humble in all of our um, opportunities to serve. And Lord, that we would seek to be helpful. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in North Valley and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.